This is the Place for a Purpose podcast. We want to help you live out what Jesus said was the most important thing you could do with your life. Love God and love your neighbor, including your next door neighbors. So we're going to keep neighboring on your mind by encouraging you with practical ways to connect with those next door so you can live knowing you've been placed for a purpose because your address is not an accident and neither is your neighbor's. Welcome back to the Placed for a Purpose podcast. We are joined today by our good friend and neighboring guru, David Burton. For 22 years, David Burton has been a community development specialist for the University of Missouri in the Springfield, Missouri area. And through his job, he creates impactful and sustainable community-based educational programs on leadership and on becoming an engaged neighbor. He is also the creator and helps start the Missouri Good Neighbor Week. He and his wife, Stacy have two grown children and... David, we're just so glad that you could join us, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Anytime I get to talk with the two of you, it's fun. So thank you for the opportunity. Yes. Hi, David. Hello, Elizabeth. So David, tell us about your work as a community development specialist through the University of Missouri. What exactly is your job? What do you do? My focus has changed over the years as new things have happened along the way. But in community development, we're really focused on helping communities build their civic muscle, is how we refer to it. So it's a little bit like exercise in that way. We want to help communities build up their infrastructure and their visioning, their planning to help individuals create a sense of belonging or have more of a sense of belonging. And then economically as well, and these are things that add to our civic muscle and get people involved civically. And so different programs have focused on that, leadership development programs, Neighborhood Leadership Academy, speaking to different groups and organizations about leadership or other extension programming, connecting people with some of our other services, whether it's in agriculture or family programming. That's all kind of part of it. I also, for a number of years, had managed the local office, which involved our fundraising and our extension council and our volunteers. And that was very time consuming. But I am now for the first time in my career, 100% community development focused. And since this neighboring effort is kind of considered statewide, that's a pretty big focus of most of my time. And so for right now, for example, for this year, we signed a memorandum of understanding with the City of Republic, and I work for the city for eight hours a week, working and developing a neighborhood-focused initiative that's specific to the City of Republic. And they pay the university. They don't pay me. So we're trying different things in this community and weaving through the politics and the interest of different people to try and create some neighborhood changes here in Republic. Because there's not a system of neighborhood associations or anything like that throughout the city. And so we're working on that. When this airs, we are going to be heading into November and the holidays will soon be upon us. The weather's cooling off. So it's a great time to be outside. And really, we've seen with neighboring, there are kind of these windows and the weather can either close or open the window. And so this is a great time of year to be thinking about 
just practical ways with the changing of the seasons, how can we be engaging with our neighbors? So school has started, we're in our rhythms, we're in our routines. And I know for me, I can start to think outside myself. So David, your mission has been to help people do just that, to become engaged neighbors. And part of how you've done this is through an engaged neighbor pledge, which I love. So your goal has been to have 100,000 people take this pledge before 2030. And looking at it, I want to hear you unpack it a little more. But the one, a couple that stood out to me, there's 20 things on here that we could pledge to. One of them is I'll learn and use my neighbor's names. I will do more front yard living to be available for conversations and service. I will look to find ways to include my neighbors in my life who are overlooked, marginalized, disabled, widowed, or lonely, and I will not turn my neighbor into a project or gossip about my neighbors. So tell us about this pledge and the work that you're doing in the neighboring space. Well, that is a great question. And like a lot of things, it's a work in progress some while. It takes a time to get to this point. And then I think that pledge may still have some massaging that it needs to have done. But for Several years, I'd be asked by people at the end of classes, you know, what can I do to start being a more engaged neighbor, even after they'd hear a presentation? And they would hear me say, that doesn't mean, now that you're excited about this, that doesn't mean you have to go out and do a block party for 100 people. There's other places to start. And I typically would tell people to learn the names of their neighbors, use the names of their neighbors, and throw some sort of little get-together. That was like a three easy steps. And well, I say easy, but even my own story, I didn't know the names of my neighbors. And that took action and steps just to learn their names. And and then you had to take certain steps, like just being outside more, being in the front yard, being visible, to have chances to use their names. And then we decided it was getting colder and we did a, uh, instead of a potluck meal, we did a soup potluck, you know, bring your favorite super chilly and have everybody in our garage because it was a little cooler out. And those were our first three steps, but those took time. That wasn't just like in one week that that was accomplished at all. It took time. But as I've been thinking about things that I've been talking about discovering in my own life and work, things that I've learned from other researchers and just other practical experiences, that kind of led to a more comprehensive list. And Really, I have it this dream here in a year or two, I don't know, sometime down the road to write a book. And so I was really thinking in terms of key topics for that. And that's kind of how the the pledge ended up developing. And when I had shown that to my boss, my education director, she had said, well, you should incorporate that into some sort of stretch goal, some sort of long-term goal. And so that's how that ended up being the goal to have 100,000 people sign on to the Engage Neighbor Pledge, because I do speak at different places and in front of different audiences. I have started using kind of that pledge to kind of outline the presentation a little more to go over those topics, because I think that's kind of where this topic is filtered down for me, at least, uh, in these 20 items. And it's a little more succinct presentation, too. I mean, I could show up and we could talk about it all day long, right? I mean, you and I have done that and be totally interested in it, but not every audience feels that way. And so that's why it's kind of got pared down. And a stretch goal, uh, like I said, you know, that's 2030 and 100,000 signatures. That gives me a stretch to work toward. 
Well, and if there are listeners who want to take the Engaged Neighbor Pledge, we'll link that in the show notes so that they can do that. So there's one on here. It says, I will be a continual learner about neighboring an ABCD. And some of us might not be familiar with this term. So explain what is ABCD in the neighboring space. ABCD is asset-based community development. And so if you're going to be a continual learner, you can read all the books that are available on neighboring, and we both know a few, right? And I think there's more coming out, more interest in this topic, but you, you do need to be reading those books and get familiar with it that has that sort of relevant, practical information that helps you be a better neighbor in your own neighborhood. And then some of the research that really kind of undergirds a lot of that is this sort of asset-based community development approach and this idea that in our neighborhoods, we need to be looking at what is strong, not what is wrong. We need to be focusing on what the strengths and gifts are of the people around us and even our own strengths and using those in a way to pull people together for uh, a common good in your neighborhood. It's easy to focus on problems. We're all humans. We have this very well-exercised muscle that helps us discover everything that's wrong every place we go. <laughs> you know, like right off the bat, yeah. we, we see what's wrong, what should be done differently. But we don't have always this experience of looking at what are the gifts and the things that we can build upon. And in a neighborhood, if you're focusing on what's wrong all the time, that will rally people for a time, but it is not a sustainable type of rally. People will eventually wear out over the drama or the problems or the lack of improvement or they'll feel drained, or you're trying to ask them to do something that's really not in their gifting. But looking at what is strong allows you to say, hey, what is your gift? You're an artist? Oh, well, how can we use that? How could you use that gift in our neighborhood? That's more of a recipe for long-term effort in the community. And oftentimes when you do that, you will find that some of the problem areas end up getting fixed along the way. So John McKnight uh, is kind of the grandfather of asset-based community development. Abundant Communities is a good starting point book to read on that. Okay, we'll link those as well. Yeah. So when did you first become interested in this idea of neighboring? And like, where you're like, man, I can incorporate this into my job with the work I do with Mizzou there in Springfield. Yeah, Chris, I, I thought I was a great neighbor until I discovered I was not. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I came into this subject matter, because I would have told you that I was a good neighbor because I left my neighbors alone and I picked up after my dog on walks and I took down my Christmas lights before New Year's and all these sort of, I didn't park on the road. And so I was a great neighbor. What if I told you Chris leaves our Christmas lights up till oh my gosh. at least oh. March at times? Wow. Okay. Wow. Jeez. There is humiliation there. I'm just I'm just letting Marital it out. Marital counseling Marital, after this. Yeah. Okay. okay. I'm going to be quiet now. Okay. Continue on. We laugh about that at our house because we love Christmas. And not everybody has that same passion for Christmas. You know, and how people say, well, they left their Christmas lights up past the new year. I've heard that before. So I thought, well, I'm getting mine down before the new year. I don't want to be talked about like that. You know, I'm going to be a good neighbor. Yeah, I'm going to be a good neighbor. And I, I would said I was doing all those things. And in fact, I even heard a sermon at church where we add the word neighbors to our mission statement. And, you know, in full transparency, I left thinking that sermon didn't really apply to me. I'm already a great neighbor. But then I end up going to Colorado Springs to visit my sister-in-law 
And by golly, their church was kicking off their new year theme, and their new theme was Love Thy Neighbor. So I get to hear that type of sermon twice, and I still thought, hmm, I think I've got this. And then a, a co-worker of, her, of hers handed me a book by Dave Runyon and Jay Paddock, The Art of Neighboring. And I hadn't made it through the first chapter yet, and I was saying, I stink as a neighbor. I'm a horrible neighbor. Because in reading that, I realized, wait, I thought I was loving my neighbors. I would have told you I didn't hate any of them, so I must love them. But really, the opposite of love is apathy. And I had so much apathy that I hadn't even bothered to learn the names of new neighbors when they moved in. Uh, I'd wave at them. I wasn't mean, but I didn't care enough to get to know them. It wasn't love. It was not love. Love really is an active term, and you do have to take action on that and engage with people, hear their stories, um, listen and have interaction, lift them up when you can, be an encouragement, do life together, involve them in your life and in your routine as well. And so we really just set out to try and do a better job of that. I was very convicted about that. And it started with knocking on doors and handing over a plate of cookies, which is a big sacrifice because my wife makes great chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) (laughs) And with our contact information saying, you know, we want to do better as neighbors and then saying out to do that. And all of our neighbors were very gracious about that. I think most got engaged right away. I'd say maybe all but one house. But in time, everybody has come around. I've seen it uh, spread down the street as others have really taken on a more active role in doing life with those that live right next door to them. It's cool that you're finding yourself in all these different places, rubbing shoulders with all these different people. And it's all because of this idea of loving our next door neighbor in our neighborhoods. And it seems like, you know, we live in some contentious times that this idea of reaching out to your neighbor is one that could build bridges across different political views, religious views. Have you found that to be true as you engage with people who come from a different background or maybe different way of viewing politics? But like this idea of neighboring and loving your neighbor has brought good conversation and connection. Like what have some of those conversations been like? Yeah, it brings good conversation and it should. Now, there are some people who just like to be upset about things and would be upset about this topic or this type of approach. But the burden, when I say I need to do more to love my neighbors, the burden's on me. The burden for that's not on my neighbor. The burden is not on them to change their activity or change who they voted for at all. The burden is on me. I'm to love them no matter who they voted for and no matter how they respond to me out on the sidewalk. And the honesty of that is that, you know, that may sometimes mean that I need to think a little more deeper about forgiveness and reconciliation and things that might make me a little uncomfortable. But I think in the process, we give ourselves opportunity to listen to other people, to hear their story, understand where they're coming from on various topics, to understand their experience. And when early American history, or I would probably say most American history up till maybe the 70s, that was part of our secret sauce in America. We could get together together in associations and groups and talk about these difficult issues and still leave as friends and be able to have honest discussions. And we've somewhat lost that ability to do that or at least be doing that in a civil way. So anything that we can do that helps people have those sort of civil discussions, that's a good thing. I'll give an example. This kind of it's maybe um, 
a funny example that this is not a political example. And honestly, I could probably um, give as many personal examples as you have time for because they seem to find me out. And I have lots of these little aha moments throughout the community. I'm like, hmm, that was an interesting exchange and experience. But one of my first ones uh, was there's a gentleman in my neighborhood, and we'd been here 15 years at that point. I'd never spoke to him, but I always saw him out. He worked in his yard a lot. And just being honest, he always kind of looked like he was cranky, and he was pretty intimidating individual. And so I won't go into the details. He had a he had a little exchange with my wife, and at first I thought about going down and having a, a mean conversation, but then I remembered he's about six four and three hundred pounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Chris not, is six four. You should have yeah, called I, me in for muscle. <laughs> I could have. And I thought you know this is going to turn out real well, and so instead I called and asked just meet on the driveway for coffee and and we went down talked and I did not talk about the incident that had happened or what had taken place because we were trying to get to know our neighbors better and do things in a different way and I thought now that's the old me I need to go down I've never talked with him I need to hear his story and in the course of doing that I discovered you know why he probably had that grimace on his face I don't know if I want to out his whole story he is a four time Purple Heart recipient from Vietnam. I didn't even know that was possible. I thought like one Purple Heart, right? And you were like injured and back home, but he's a four-time Purple Heart recipient. And, you know, he doesn't sleep well and he has some PTSD and he has some things from all of that. And he missed out on some things when Uncle Sam drafted him. But hearing all of that gave me a deep understanding of his story and a deeper compassion for him, maybe an understanding of some of his gifts and abilities and things he could do in the neighborhood and just better ways to engage with him and topics of which we could discuss when I see him out. And so the lesson was all for me. It wasn't for him. It was all for, for me. And then somewhere along the way, as we've done these sort of neighboring things, he, he told me this summer when he had someone come onto his property that was not invited, he was telling me about it. And he said, you'd be so proud of me because I didn't shoot him. Nope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Good job. He's always, he's always packing. I said, you're right. I'm really proud. He goes, I keep, I pay attention to all that good neighbor stuff you're talking about. Aww. So I didn't shoot him. And uh, he went out and had a conversation with him instead. And, you know, it all got worked out. Yeah. <laughs> but that's amazing. Over in big and small ways, I've just been amazed at the understanding and the connection the doors that have opened, the service opportunities, the ministry opportunities that have opened just by taking the time to listen to people, to listen to your neighbors and hear their hearts on things and write down a few notes, at least in my case, so I can remember part of that discussion and follow up with people and just uh, be interested in the lives of others. It's amazing how knowing someone's story, the power that is in our lives of just creating empathy and understanding and patience and forbearance that I wouldn't have if I didn't know their story. Sometimes we're just, we're quick to jump to conclusions or quick to anger <laughs> rather than slow to anger. And so, yeah, it's amazing how knowing someone's story, just the power of that. I think it's one of those exercised muscles that we have. We are quick to write a story of what we think about the other person. or We're quick to write what we think is the other person's story based on observation. They're out and maybe look cranky and they're intimidating. Oh, that must be something bad. 
I think we all do that. And before long, then we react to them the way we've written this story when we really don't know and don't know the story. That's one of the main lessons for me, I think, along the way. But I have seen just by, you know, having engagement, listening to people, I've had opportunities when I'm out on a walk, a neighbor has flagged me down and said, hey, I wanted you to know about this. Would you be praying for me? People that that I'd had minimal or no contact with, that suddenly those types of doors have opened up. Opportunities to serve together and help someone else. And that's a great way to build a connection with people. There's a, You get to learn a lot about people or a neighbor when you're over cutting someone else's tree limbs. And uh, you have near-death experiences in doing that. And uh, <laughs> Hypothetically speaking, of yeah. course. Hypothetically, right. But those are great opportunities as well. So listening and serving together, just doing life together. It doesn't have to be about a big block party. It's about inviting neighbors into your life, into your normal, regular routine. So at the time of this recording, as we're talking, today marks the first day of Missouri's Good Neighbor Week which is really fun. And you have a really cool virtual background that demonstrates this, by the way. Yes. So what did it take to get the state of Missouri to designate an entire week for neighboring? And what are some of your hopes that will come out of having a full week designated towards reminding people to love their neighbor here in the state of Missouri? Well, it took a little bit of a dream and it took someone being interested enough to ask about the dream because I had been doing something around National Good Neighbor Day for four or five years in Republic and then Greene County. And the Greene County effort had grown a little bit. I'd gotten some media sponsorships and some things that gave it more focus, but it was still just one day. And we'd had quite a bit of participation in that one day. And I was saying at a Chamber of Commerce meeting in Republic and my state representative, Bishop Davidson, was at the same table. And he just made mention of seeing all the media attention and that we'd had so many people participate in one way or the other. And and then he asked that question, he goes, so what's your dream and vision for that? And honestly, right there in that moment, no one had really asked me that before. I was kind of satisfied with doing the one day bit. So I gave it a few moments thought and I just said, you know, I think it'd be really cool if we'd celebrate neighbors in Missouri for like a whole week instead of just one day. Because one day sometimes isn't very convenient during the week. And that was really kind of the whole gist of our conversation. And then it was three months later, I think, I had a text from him that's saying, hey, I've written a bill to designate Missouri Good Neighbor Week. <laughs> and it's going in front of our house subcommittee. Would you come up and testify? And he said, no, I know it's a long drive for you. and It'll probably just be about five minutes. But if you could come say a few things. And so I agreed. And he told me to go in, you know, don't expect a lot of questions. Lowering my expectations. And so I went in for my four minutes of prepared remarks, and then I got 20 minutes worth of questions. And there was a whole lot of discussion. And by the end of the day, we had two co-sponsors on the bill, and it weaved its way through the houses in a, a very tangled road. And he had told me not to expect it to happen the first year. That was just pretty uncommon. But on the last day, it got tagged on to another bill as an amendment. And by golly, it passed on the last day and got signed by the governor. So it starts on National Good Neighbor Day, September 28th. But then we go for six more days and you have a weekend and different ways to celebrate no matter where that falls on the calendar. And it's gotten a lot of attention. We had a lot of success last year. We had over 
12,854 acts of neighboring reported through the website across Missouri, things that people had specifically done for their neighbors, a lot of impressions and discussion around that. And then in May, it was actually named the Neighboring Project of the Year in the United States by an organization called Neighborhoods USA. And I think there were about 15 things in the running for that award. And so I really appreciate the national recognition for the effort. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah, I was looking at the website yesterday, and it's so cool how you can record your neighboring act, and then it gets added to the counter, and you just kind of feel like you're a part of something bigger, like you're locally loving your neighbor, but then like you said, you see this happening all over the state, and you're like, wow, like the whole state is being impacted by this, so it's really cool. I'd say if I have a dream for it at this point, because we have a partnership with the Hopeful Neighborhood Project, and we have a great tool in place for people to report what they've done. And also, you can nominate someone else to be an engaged neighbor, to be recognized as one of Missouri's most engaged neighbors. And every person who's nominated gets a letter saying they've been nominated, thanking them for being a good neighbor. They get a memento in the mail, and then we'll pick 10 people across the state to recognize. So there's that aspect of it, too. And I'd say if I had any other dream, we've talked about developing a sponsorship program or something that would provide another benefit for reporting your active neighboring. So like if you do an active neighboring for $10, this organization will give $10 to Convoy of Hope, something like that, a mechanism. We've just not landed on the right connections to make that happen. But that's the next piece, I think, because people have to do the active neighboring and they have to remember to go to the website to report it. And sometimes things get lost you know, or forgotten when you have an extra step like that. If we can give them benefit of some sort, that may help them remember. So for our listeners who might not live in Missouri, what's something specific that they can do? I know there's the National Good Neighbor Day specifically, and you've developed this resource that's 101 acts of neighboring. Speak specifically to someone who might live outside of Missouri. What would you say to them? Outside of Missouri? Right. You are welcome to check out our website, and you're welcome to download that list of 101 acts of neighboring. Ideas that that I've worked with the Hopeful Neighborhood Project on, I think my original list was 30 ideas, and we used it in Greene County. And we've added to it as people have reported things they have done that we thought were unique. There'll be some things on this year's list that'll come off and some new things that'll come on based on what people report this year. And we're just trying to provide a comprehensive list that gives you maybe some ideas you hadn't thought of, but also maybe some encouragement that your crazy idea isn't that crazy, or that maybe an active neighboring doesn't have to be as complex as you think. Some of these things are very simple things. You know, in fact, this Saturday, my wife and I, we're hosting a coffee in our garage for our neighbors, a coffee social. And we're doing it come and go because we know some of our neighbors are kind of introverts, and this idea of coming and staying is not something they want to do. But that's how we're hosting getting some neighbors to come to our house. My wife loves coffee, so she's all all about this idea. But that's a a simple thing, or the soup potluck, or things of that nature. There's a neighborhood in Springfield this week that's doing outdoor movie nights on a garage in the neighborhood. And I've thought about that in the past. I've thought, man, the sound system, how would I get that? So, you know, you know, it's just something else to not work. They are doing silent movie nights. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. I, I love that. And so as not to disturb neighbors with loud 
volume or whatever. They're showing some classic silent movies. I thought that is really creative and wonderful. So tip of the hat to Woodland Heights Neighborhood Association. With what you do in all this neighboring spaces, you help create resources, just so many ideas, so many resources. And you've written a really great article about welcoming new neighbors into the neighborhood. And we've been talking to some other people about just how stressful moving is, how it just completely upends your life. What would you suggest is some of your favorite ideas of how to welcome a new neighbor into the neighborhood? Keep it practical and keep it local. What I have typically used with neighbors moving in is giving them some carryout menus from local restaurants that are our favorite. We give them a booklet from the library about programs that are coming up, a map of trails in the area. We've marked our favorite on there that we like to do, a gift card to a favorite local coffee place. So things that they can explore locally, and that's the key I think, as well as contact information, a little directory for their neighbors' contacts if if they're on our list of being able to share those. So keep it local, share what's of interest to you, keep it practical. When we moved and when the hurry of moving, we completely forgot toilet paper. And I've always remembered that. So I, I think, you know, when a new family's moving in, a bundle of toilet paper is a nice gift that can be used and is practical, right? We saw that on your list, like a shower curtain liner and paper towels and shampoo and conditioner. I thought that is so practical. Things that people have forgotten in the move. Yes. I generally, at least in my own neighborhood, I, I'm generally able to know if they're moving from a long ways away or if they're just a local move. I think the longer the move, the more likely it is that they've forgotten some of these things. And and then it maybe becomes more helpful to them. And then what we've started doing, and this was, I think, a lot of fun. People seem to enjoy it. We've had get-to-know-your-neighbor get-togethers on our driveway. Come on Sunday afternoon at this time. We'll have some ice cream sandwiches. And our new neighbors at this residence will be at our driveway to meet you. So come and introduce yourself and meet the new neighbors. And wait a few weeks till they've gotten moved in and a little bit settled. And those have always been really well-received by both the newcomers and the neighbors as well. I really like that idea. That, that's a new idea to me. Yeah, I was even thinking about maybe posting on our neighborhood Facebook group, anyone who's moved here in the last year, come on over and we'll do. Yeah. Because you miss people. And in a neighborhood our size, we don't, it's like, oh, I'll see someone post on the Facebook page, we're new to the neighborhood and everyone does a big welcome and it's great, but I still haven't met some of these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a lady in my neighboring 101 class that that had taken this so seriously when she moved and she didn't really have neighbors or anybody coming over welcoming her. She did a reverse welcome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She created plates of cookies and walked across the street next door and introduced herself, said, hi, you know, I'm your new neighbor. And I loved that. I love that. Maybe not everybody would have the time for that. It might not work work out in their situation, but uh, in her situation, I thought it was perfect. So one of the things I wanted to ask you in light of some of these acts of kindness, let's say, for example, you have on here, use sidewalk chalk to decorate your neighborhood. And that feels simple and doable. Or pick up litter with a neighbor or volunteer in your local community garden. 
if you have one. And so a lot of these, and you talk about this in some of your articles, they strike at this idea of seeking the common good. And you mentioned that earlier. So what does it mean for a believer to seek the common good of their neighborhood? And why should we? We are commanded to love our neighbors. And that is an active word. And I think by working together with people, we get to know their heart, get to know their story. And we discover ways that we can work together, but that we can also be a blessing to them. I think also when you're asking that from a faith perspective, all these opportunities of working together give me opportunities to be praying for them or praying for their situation as as they tell me, as I listen to what they have to say, that I have opportunities to pray for them. I think service is a connecting point when you do an action together that benefits the bigger community or another family. It's a generally a bonding, a memorable type of experience together. And I think that's important, just like eating is. I think having inviting people over to eat is that same type of opportunity, and you're getting to know them. And then somewhere ultimately in this process, you're going to have an opportunity to tell your story as well. And I've been able to tell my story and share that with people without it being a sales pitch or pushy to really just be able to explain what God has done in my life and what that looks like for me. And that's an authentic type of discussion that can take place. And I think that's really where the opportunity exists and really what we really what we should be doing. Sometimes the story resonates, sometimes it does not, but at least you've had that opportunity, you've planted that seed and and somebody else may do the same thing down the road and eventually there'll be a fruit that's born. I think it's so important. I think as believers, pushing back against the narrative that if we're not just saving souls, we're wasting our time. But living in the tension of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, which is good news, and it's hopefully changed our lives to fo- to know what it means to follow him, but also practicing good deeds that we're called to. And I just see that so much in your work and in your story that you are available for when those conversations come and you're intentional and you care deeply about people following Jesus and being engaged in the mission of God. But you also see the mission of God as more than just having spiritual conversations, though those are very important. But it's also you give value to these acts of seeking the common good in our neighborhood. Yeah, that's what we're called to do. And I don't have a grid or, you know, a master plan of, oh, I've done step one with Henry. Now I'm going to do step two. I do very much make my neighbors and neighborhood a matter of prayer. And I do trust that when those opportunities arise, it's for a reason. And that I'm able to share my story with them along the way. And we've got to be present. And so here's an example of secular research that feeds into this topic and idea and how I see an area that churchgoers and believers might be missing out. And that is the research, including the study we just that I just finished up in Missouri, shows that most people think being a good neighbor means being quiet and respecting your neighbor's privacy. Or in other words, being quiet and leaving your neighbors alone. And I think that's sort of the cultural narrative. We see that anecdotally mentioned in some books, right, that I know we have 
talked about before, but this scientific research demonstrates that, that those are the top two qualities. And I think Christian believers live in this culture and were influenced by this culture. And we have adopted that sort of behavior and belief as well. I was there. I thought I was being great neighbor because I was quiet and leaving my neighbors alone. And I see that at other churches or venues where I speak that people are like, I, you know, I leave my neighbors alone or I wave at them. I'm a good neighbor. And that's just not the case. And so that's what has been impressed upon my heart. And that's the point that I'm coming at is it's, I can't continue to fool myself into thinking I'm being a good neighbor by having apathy toward those that live around me. And I have to find ways to engage. And that's on on me. And when I have those opportunities to make that engagement, you know, there's opportunities to share life together and share stories. And, you know, ultimately that can lead to some great things. Thanks so much for all that you're doing. I just really appreciate how encouraging you've been of us in our neighboring efforts. You've been, really been a cheerleader for us. And so thank you for giving us tracks to run on. Like you said, like the cultural story is to leave your next door neighbor alone. That's what it means to be a good neighbor. And it's hard to get out of that. And what I see in the work that you're doing is you're just giving us tracks to run on. You're giving these simple steps. You're living it out in your neighborhood. And resources, all the resources you've created on your website with the Neighboring 101 class and this document of 101 neighboring acts and the pledge and Yeah, and helping an entire state think about what it means to be a good neighbor. So really appreciate you. Thank you so much for being on here. And um, yeah, thanks. Well, I appreciate that. Those are kind words. It's a passion project for sure. I'm excited that I can do it within the framework of my work as well. Feels like a good, solid place to be. And I, I love what you guys do. I love the book. I've used it more than once with more than one group for the study guide and discussion. I think it's great. I love the ideas. I love the whole premise of being placed for a purpose and have tried to apply that in my own life. You've had an impact on me, both your book and your presentations and now your podcast too. So it assure you the the respect is mutual and the the impact sounds like maybe it's mutual as well. I didn't realize I had that kind of impact, but thank you. That was very kind of you to say and appreciate getting together and having a chance to to visit a little bit through all this. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Leave us a comment with your thoughts on today's episode or let us know other topics related to neighboring you want to talk about. Or follow the link in the show notes to share a neighboring story with us. Tell us what you're trusting God for in your neighborhood and how you're seeing God at work. You can also follow Placed for a Purpose on Instagram and you can help others find us by leaving a review, subscribing, and sharing this episode with a friend. Music